Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Right now we're sitting outside on the hottest day of the year in what could loosely be called the sort of vice foyer outdoor terrace area. There's some wooden benches and some glasses of Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, And I'm with Hannah and Lucy Hancock and we're talking about some of the weirder stories from the week. Hannah, you've been working on a story this week which is one of my favourite all-time stories. And I'm really glad that you have taken the time out to properly investigate it. Um, It's a conspiracy theory that is maybe the only conspiracy theory I actually believe. Okay, so essentially it's that governments are trying to control us by putting fluoride in our water. So it all started in 1939 and in America a company had as a waste product loads and loads of this fluoride and then they got a scientist at this place he looked into it and said that oh it's great for your teeth and so suddenly the government started putting it in the water and then places all over the world were putting fluoride in their water because it's good for your teeth stops you from getting cavities right if you actually look at it there are so many dodgy health stories about it like there's it's really bad for your thyroid i rang up water companies in the uk and ask them if they put fluoride in the water and a lot of places don't because local councils can health departments i think can they can veto it and be like no way we're not having it in are you erin brockovich i i might be i might be (laughs) (laughs) and so you can veto it right so loads of places don't want it because of this reason it's like mass medication mass medicating but birmingham has it like the whole of birmingham pretty much Thanks very much. What was the question? Matt Bellamy from Muse. (laughs) (laughs) Wake up, sheeple. (laughs) Wake up, sheeple. Lucy, you sent me quite an upsetting survey that are done, admittedly by Radio Times readers who are, like, old cunts. (laughs) But... (laughs) (laughs) They voted Mrs. Brown's Boys the number one sitcom of all time. I was thinking about it today and just worrying a little bit. But then I thought, if ever you you were surprised about the Brexit vote, the sort of popularity of Mrs. Brown's Boys would have been quite a useful sort of framework with which to analyse, like, what's happened to society. 
maybe that sounds like we're just being so snobby and being like, oh, it's a really good insight into how the other half of the country think with their <laughs> not very funny jokes and slightly xenophobic views. But if it is snobby, then I want to be snobby because it's shit. It's so shit. It's unbelievably shit. Where can I go? Where can I see this sort of comedic insight? And like, what is it? What is it? Is it the cross-dressing or like the jokes about farting? Or the swearing, fecking. Swearing, yeah, that's edgy. But what is it? What is it that makes it funny? That is what's interesting because like humour is supposed to be a little bit universal. And like, I'm not a humour snob. I will definitely laugh at like someone setting their farts on fire or someone falling over or like someone going on a trampoline and falling off. Like I am up for all of that. But when I watch Mrs. Brown's Boys, it's not like I'm sitting there being like, oh, I'm so angry at this show. You just, just don't even understand it. I just, yeah, like, someone says something that isn't a joke and then everyone laughs. Mm. It's the same with The Big Bang Theory, which is the most popular comedy in America. I mean, my dad is a really big fan of um, Frankie Howard and um, his favourite film is Up Pompeii. And I think that gives me a better insight into what maybe... the I'm going, we're going to call them the Brexit voters. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> It's absolutely. sort of, yeah, the, um, what they're a big fan of. And uh, his big gag is about suede underwear itching and I think it's the same sort of thing um, that's quite funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah you should carry out with my dad because yeah. he is hilarious and we had a big fight about it actually because he said the thing about your generation is that you are all obsessed with irony and I was like mm, that's an interesting point because I think it's a generational shift in, in comedy. And it's not just irony, like but... surrealism and sort of all it's satire, all these things that are really important to us. But the one thing... But again, I don't think it is just that because I will laugh at someone falling over 10 times out of 10. But what I won't laugh at <laughs> is like Mrs. Brown being like, ah, oh, the fuck are you? Do you know what I mean? It's just not... Ah, oh, the fuck, you're late again for dinner. Yeah. Can't laugh at like, why is that? I actually looked up, I actually looked up, I, I looked up on the internet because I just thought it would be quite fun. The, uh, there's um, a number of Pinterest boards of Mrs. Brown's Boys memes. Right. <laughs> this is on the top 10 Mrs. Brown's Boys um funniest jokes right. board on Pinterest if anyone annoys you remember it takes 42 muscles in your face to frown but it only takes 4 muscles to extend your arm and slap the fecker cat laughter and there's another one Ooh. if I wanted to listen to an asshole, I'd fart <laughs> Let's get back to powerlessness for a moment. How did you get into this whole story? Okay, so there was this study which Girl Guiding released where they basically spoke to girls about power and confidence. They spoke to some 9 to 10-year-olds and 90% of them said that they thought that they'd be as successful as boys in their chosen job. 19% or 90%? No, 90%. That's quite good, isn't it? That sort of shows that gender imbalance in, amongst children has gone away and girls don't think that they're going to be housewives and all of that kind of thing. Yeah, but when they spoke to older girls, once it got to the 11 to 16 age bracket, only 54% said that they thought that they would be as successful as boys. And then when it got to 17 to 21-year-olds, it was only 35%. So young adults, people who are like actually about to enter the world of work, had very little confidence that they were going to do as well as men. Yeah, exactly. You would hope that they would be feeling just as powerful and confident because they're literally about to enter their career. 
Isn't that quite a sort of sad story about adolescence? It, yeah, it's horrible. And only a quarter of those 17 to 21 year olds said that they felt powerful. Okay, so where did you go with this story? So I tweeted and asked some teenage girls to basically come into the office and speak to me about the first time that they felt powerless. It was really nice talking to them and really just quite weird and depressing hearing the kind of stuff they were coming out with about feeling powerless because it's just really similar to the kind of stuff that me and my friends and everyone our age went through. Okay, get ready to feel depressed then. Hannah spoke to Bronte, Bethan, Beth, Lindsay and Lucy and this is what they had to say about feelings of powerlessness as they were growing up. I think being approached by men, kind of being catcalled by men, things like that makes you feel quite powerless. I think around like 14, 15, when you start to kind of like take the shape of like a woman, going out, out and you're seeing things for what they are, you know that people they see parts of you and you know that like from a young age you're going to get catcalled and followed and things like that I think even in school in classes and things I think sometimes you feel like if it's you and then quite a few guys and you're having a conversation in school and things like that I think you can feel quite outnumbered there's quite a like pack mentality with boys but it's more about kind of being out and about and feeling like I'm quite weak, I couldn't do anything to help myself and knowing that what some guys are like, I think. If I could talk to my 14-year-old self now, I would say probably just enjoy it and don't waste time caring about what other people think about you or how you're perceived or, you know, you shouldn't feel powerless because even if you can't do something, it really doesn't matter and it comes to a point when you find something you like and ignore anyone that does try and make you feel powerless puberty came overnight for me and I was literally flat chested and then got boobs and I think I've really really struggled with the attention that comes with it because you feel so uncomfortable anyway and then having attention from males that are a lot older than you as well because you look older and not really knowing what to do with it feeling like I can't talk to my parents about it because they're going to be like what's going on in society today or whatever I felt like I couldn't really talk to my sister about it because also we have such different body shapes as well. You know, she's very tall and slender, and the attention we got was completely different. And because I hit puberty way quicker than some of my friends, like, they didn't understand either, that I felt so almost, like, ashamed. Like, and even, like, until I think probably when I finished uni, I then learnt how to, like, dress and not almost feel embarrassed that I have boobs and I shouldn't wear that top or, like, that was really revealing or I can't wear, like, a plain T-shirt because you know, someone's just going to look at my boobs the whole time I'm talking or whatever. I think most people really struggle through puberty anyway, but I found it really difficult having, like, a boob and bums. But now it's really weird because it's really fashionable to have that. So it's just how it's completely changed and how I see girls who are so young now who, like, want to draw attention to those, like, parts of their body when I, at that age, was the complete opposite. There was definitely a group of girls who had the boobs really, really young and from then on that meant that they were the most popular girls in school. And I remember me and my friends would sit at lunchtime and we'd sort of like share lunch and have like a picnic. And I remember she coming over and she was like, oh, that's sweet, you're like little children. And I was like, well, excuse me, I'm literally the same age as you. Just because you've got a pair of boobs doesn't mean that you own me, like you're already better than me. Ever since then, I used to sit at lunch and try and look more grown up do my hair like her, like try and wear like padded bras. I've always worn like push-up bras because it's so uncomfortable. It was sort of her comments and her vibe that made me feel like that. 
I didn't have my first kiss until I was about 15. Um, at the time, I was like, why haven't I kissed any boys? What is going on? Um, this isn't okay. Why, why are boys getting with all the other girls and not me? Looking back, I'm really glad I did that because I just wasn't ready for it at that age. I think that it just wouldn't have worked well. My first kiss was with the guy I was in a relationship with. I think it, it was weird, though, because there was no one in my school or classes that were gay. Like, they hadn't come out, they hadn't... No one really spoke about it, and it wasn't done in sex ed or whatever, so... I just, I guess, I socialised myself to think that I like guys. Probably the first time I felt powerless was when I got taught, like, sex education in primary school. It wasn't very, like, detailed. I was taught, as a girl, it was, like, the main things of, like, the girly situations, like, periods, and girls, like, just taught how to, like, put a tampon in, and that's really it. Like, there's nothing very exact about anything in that situation and it kind of like brushed that under the carpet and moved on to about how a man should do this or do that or like because it makes you like feel like you don't really know what's going on because it's not really been explained as from like a woman's point of view like it's all a bit confusing and like you have to kind of just work it out by yourself due to not having like much help with that situation. If I could go back and tell myself like how to handle the sex education situation, I'd probably put myself more out there to ask questions about the whole situation and not sit back and be like, oh, God, we're talking about sex. Because obviously I was younger, so it was a bit awkward, but it would have been better to find out like the right things to do and stuff to do with like female situations rather than just male so those were some recent teenagers talking about uh times they felt powerless um lucy and hannah are still here but we're joined by sophie hayward journalist and human being was anything going through your mind when you heard those clips yeah i was quite getting sort of clinical depression um it's <laughs> terrible <laughs> It's funny, you always think women's rights are making huge progress, but it seems to be two steps forward and one step back, I think. I think things for grown-ups are getting better. I think things for teenagers might be getting worse. And why is that? Is that something that you recognise, that sort of slightly hopeless feeling of being a teenage girl? Well, they were quite sexualised, but I do think things have got more sexualised. There's a brilliant book called The Female Chauvinist Pigs by Ariel Levy, where she says women have been co-opted in, sort of young girls, into this kind of girls gone wild thing where you have to kind of be hot in a bikini and take your top off to be one of the lads and that that culture has really become quite dominant but there's always a, a fight back against that isn't there maybe i lived in a sort of isolated north london bubble when i was growing up and didn't see it but when i was at school i didn't see that kind of like very sexualized thing and then i got to university it was like watching like a bad episode of the inbetweeners but really real and really <laughs> gross yeah. and horrible and maybe my crouch and upbringing was like <laughs> you know i was being exposed for the first time but i'd never been in a group of men and just heard that kind of conversation bands. before yeah Top bands. Bands. i mean i never have been in that group of men i suppose but um ugh, what do we do do you think that there's anything that can change about the whole way that teenagers are that might make ease some of those issues? Like one thing that really s strikes me now that I'm a grown-up, which definitely I did internalise as a teenager, is like bases and that whole thing of like... What, how far you go? How far you go. Because that is actually a terrible... 
terrible thing which I feel like loads of adults still kind of think about I think adults do especially with sort of the rise in online dating it's like well you know what number date it is and how long you've known this person it gets quite numerical doesn't it it's not very I think you make a grave mistake in that because you start thinking sexuality is sort of countable and it's not coming from it's not really coming from a very organic place if you're thinking like oh well he's got to boobs but he can't get there like it's not really that's not really how desire works I don't think yeah, and it's just all this kind of ra- race to the end type situation. Yeah. Which is quite strange. Hannah, did you feel that kind of pressure in secondary school or not so much? It was more the fact that when you did do something that it would be discussed among the boys. Like, So if you did sleep with somebody or you did, you gave someone a blowjob, everyone would know about it. And not only that, it would be like discussed and analysed. And there was this horrible thing at my school which I still... like cannot stop thinking about pops up every now and again that if you didn't shave or wax your pubes you were a lesbian and Jesus. there's numerous times at my school when that would come out that someone hadn't waxed or something and they would literally just be like shunned it was horrific that's blowing my mind because I'm that. a little bit older than you I went to school in the 80s and 90s and that wasn't a thing that abs- pubic hair it just grew there like there was there was no waxing and shaving that's really freaking me out it's horrible isn't it when i was at school there was just this like total total terror because you were constantly treading the line like this really precarious line between being frigid or a slag and yeah. you, you can't win that like, you just can't win that game at all so i remember hearing stories about people like horrible stuff like i would see videos of people i knew like getting and i think maybe it's the type of boys that videos? i knew yep. yeah on the early camera phones really? there were videos there were like rumors about a girl and obviously lo- loads of them were made up i remember thinking the consequences i have to do these things in order to be accepted by you know, pe- people, men, and other women, women, girls. But the Do consequence, what things? Have sex with like, people. yeah, just stuff like you know, get to base, get to certain bases. Do like blowjobs you didn't want to do. Like, so many people would just be like, go off into separate parts of whatever the house party, do ho- like horrible things, then come back and report back. They didn't want to do them, and 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 I think the really sad thing about. Um, teenage sexual relations is that they haven't changed at all in in the sense that there's no element of desire like there's no Mm. pleasure for the women you're not taught to believe that your sort of sexual pleasure is important i think because guys get there quicker so it's more obvious you give someone a blowjob and you can see that they've come and it's quite clear that that's like game over i think it's not so obvious to teenage boys you know what the female equivalent of that might be and that's not talked about yeah, and also I think because so much sex education is just like don't get pregnant, don't get STIs. Yeah. I certainly so it's as telling a the woman to sort of protect yourself rather than like go for it. Yeah, mm. there's no like here's how this all works. Yeah, and also the female body is the danger zone as well. So mm. it's like hold, hold that back. It's not like here's how to have a really great orgasm and take as long as you want. I think it is different now. I'm reading this book by a woman called Peggy Orenstein, and um, I'm writing a article about it she's done a bit of a study on girls between 15 and 20 now they have this more of a transactional approach to uh, sexual favors and they kind of think that that if you keep your feelings out of it then you kind of win so it's it's a bit more of a sexually aggressive 
um, which you can totally understand how that's evolved because, you know, in order to protect yourself against the sort of consequences of, you know, doing and all these kinds of things, well. then you then you would build a bit more of an armour up. But still, you know, still pleasure is completely absent from, from all of those things. I thought it was really interesting in those recordings talking about your body. I revisited the feeling of just really extreme anxiety walking around around men I hadn't really recalled since being a teenager going into a room where you're suddenly really aware of your body and you can't really concentrate on other stuff because you're thinking about what people are thinking about your body and they are thinking about your body and reacting to it and not really talking to you mm. but do you not feel weird about it looking back because I always think although I knew at the time that it was fucking weird that I was 13, 14 and actual men were like catcalling me or whatever yeah, yeah. although I kn- knew that was weird then now I look back and I'm like mm, kind of paedophilia, quite weird yeah. like, very, I thought it was flattering I was so unaware how dodgy that was that I, as like a teenage girl would have boyfriends in their 20s and I thought I was so lucky that I'd pulled a grown up and that I must be bluffing it with my intellectual chat about something and I must sound really clever, which, of course, was not what was going on at all. Mm. And, and in my early 20s, dating two boyfriends who were both sort of pushing 40, and I just thought, God, I'm so lucky that they would look at me when they could be going out with a 40-year-old woman. I genuinely didn't get that they found it much easier to date a 21-year-old who wasn't any kind of rival to them but was more attractive than women their own age in, in the categories <coughs> that they were using. That's the weird thing about it, because I feel like you you get sexualised before you really even understand it at all, and yeah. that's what's so jarring and makes you feel so powerless. And I think what Lucy's saying is really interesting, that you get sexualised a long time before you learn about your own pleasure. I was definitely sexually active for a year or two before I realised, like, oh, I'm meant to be getting something from this as well. <laughs> mm. Like, it's not just that I've kind of won by doing it, like that winning thing you're talking about. I remember that feeling. Like, popular culture has definitely been way more open than it's ever been right we're in the a kind of age of like amy schumer's and jezebel's and vice and all of these things and people are talking about sex and talking about the clitoris and all of these kinds of conversations are happening in a very public forum well, why is that not nothing changed? on the new york internet they are i don't know if kids in sort of you know regional english secondary schools are all really aware of amy schumer and jezebel you know you can sing along like whips and chains excite me or whatever you can play along with a with an empowered narrative without really translating that into your personal life you can say you know whenever i think of a pop star in my head i think can I imagine them having an orgasm and enjoying it? And if, yeah. <laughs> and if that's your better, yeah. And I kind of think like, mm, if I can, then they probably the, the, the right message is getting across. If it is, if if their message is sort of sexualization, but like you can't imagine them kind of having a good time, then then literally, what's the fucking point? Yeah, it's for men then. Isn't the narrative that's a lot in the media is oh, porn's changed everything. Porn's over-sexualized children. It's made them realize all these different things that they were never aware of. But if you're saying that these kids sound the same as kids from kind of every generation, they sound like me. Yeah, they're probably not saying half of what they they're really feeling, which is like you know, I gave somebody a, a blozer the other day and it made me very, very, very sad. I did not realise that I'd been completely, basically abused. <laughs> I did not, it was a bit like, oh God, maybe I should tell someone. You yeah. just write it in a Vice article. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really realise that that happened. 
until recently, all these things that people had said to me, like, you're boring and frigid, but you're also a massive slag. Oh, Christ. So what can we actually, like, what would make a big difference here? Let's start with teenage boys. Like, do they have something that they could really contribute to making teenage girls feel less shit about themselves? What I think needs to happen is that anywhere that someone has done the brilliant thing, say in a secondary school, of getting maybe a girls' group set up or some kind of feminist talks, like... Don't restrict that. Just go, yeah, definitely let the girls talk about it on their own because then they won't get shouted down. But those conversations absolutely have to be taken to the boys. And if that means a teacher talking to boys in a room without girls in it, then do it. Because I hear so much stuff about, like, yeah, my 15-year-old daughter's like, she's got this feminist group at school. And I'm like, well, who's she talking to? Well, other 15-year-old girls. And that's a brilliant step. But it's only ever going to go so far unless someone talks to the boys about it as well. Okay, well, Sophie, I'll leave you on a final note. I mean, like, just because... And not to be like, you're a mum and you have to think about this more, but, like, (laughs) don't you have to think about it more, doesn't it? Like, I mean, it plays on my mind having, like, a slightly younger sister. Does it not play on your mind a bit? It does. I've considered... I sometimes think, oh, my God, I'm going to have to put her in an all-girls school, get her away from evil, predatory boys, and then I think, no, it'll be even worse in an all-girls school. And, um, yes, these thoughts keep me awake at night. Um, Basically, we're going to go live in the woods... That sounds nice. No, I'm just going to have to teach her to have a really good time. I don't mind if she has sex at 15. I mind if she has a shit time at 15. Sounds like a good strategy. Can I say there was a boy in my school who got so much sex because he never, ever, ever told. And loads of girls went to him and he had a lovely time and he never breathed a word about it. That's my advice for younger boys. Don't be the guy who goes, oh, she did this to me, I've got a photo. Never tell. You get loads of action. God, I could really do with that advice now, to be honest. Um, Sophie, Hannah, Lucy, thank you very much. What was a bigger problem for you? Crying or sweating? What kind of things make you cry or sweat? Definitely sweating. I was definitely sweating in the way that, like, what the hell do people think about me? I would always want to impress everyone I would always say if there was a group of boys behind me I would stand there and I'd make sure that I my back of my hair looked really nice I looked perfect because I thought what the hell they could be saying loads of things behind my back it was sort of I was very conscious of myself and my body and I was always really skinny and tall um especially before puberty so I remember in PE I would like pull my skirt down a bit and like shuffle about to make sure that no one could have anything to make fun of because I was always worried about impressing people and what they thought of me 100% Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.